0: Hi, I'm Lorna Chard and you're listening to Stories to Scream, my brand new podcast. Well, I'm very excited to announce my first guest ever. It had to be someone special, someone exceptionally handsome and someone very, very talented. So, of course, I chose Philip Arder, everybody. Hello, Philip Arder. Thank you so much for joining me today to chat. about Well, your- thank you for
1: asking me along. I'm delighted to be here.
0: Thank you. So you are author of so many books, like how many have you written altogether that have been published? Is it over a hundred? Is that true? Yes,
1: uh, it's terrible. I have to admit, I've stopped counting now. It's not all about quantity. Obviously the quality is as impressive as my beard. It's a shame people can't see it, but imagine me stroking it. I look slightly like an off duty Father Christmas. Do you think that's a fair comment?
0: actually you do have a Sandra look have you ever I'm wearing red. and you've
1: got a red jumper on <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a red jumper on this morning so there's a real santa vibe going out there um yes so over over 100 books some of them are obviously very short books some of them are much longer mixture of fiction non-fiction and for all ages but i've been published for about uh, 30 years now so that's, that's that's
0: amazing. All so what happened with your first book then? I mean, when did you start writing? You must have started writing when you were like a baby Phil.
1: <laughs> Indeed, when I was a baby Phil and my beard was just just a twinkling in my mother's eye. Um, uh, gosh, now I often give the same story, but I'm going to try, when I talk to you today, I'm going to try and just be really open and honest. Things. I think I just always loved the idea of writing. I think I loved back in the old days, of <laughs> course, we wrote with pencils and fountain pens and barrows and things. We didn't have all this high text. I still do. And I think, yes, and I think I loved the flow of ink when I was a kid. I probably got ink everywhere on my fingers, mm. not on the furniture because it was a strict upbringing. Um, <laughs> but I loved the flow of ink. So I loved the process. I loved the idea of making marks on paper. And I also loved stories. So I think for me, uh, obviously, I was uh, having books read to me and then later reading books. But I think writing wasn't just about the need to get a story out. I think it was the the, the filling of pages and things. So when I was too young to actually know how to write, I would uh, get old diaries, um, put squiggles and things in them and pretend they were sentences and stuff like that. But that was from a really, really early age.
0: Mm. Can you draw as well, or do you just focus on writing? No,
1: um, when people praise, because I've worked some fantastic illustrators over the years, there's a guy called David Roberts, whose sort of career really took off about the same time as mine, Um, but also Axel Scheffler, who drew The Gruffler, I did a Mm. series of books with him called The Grunts, so I've worked with some fantastic illustrators, uh, and I do a lot of work with Alyssa Elwick, who's... uh, uh, a young illustrator and we collaborated in a very interesting way which we may talk about later on yeah. um, but when people praise the illustrations in my book they go oh I love the pictures I go thank you very very much uh, I'm not actually taking the credit but then again I'm not denying that I drew them <laughs> um, and uh, no so although I do do doodles although I'm actually at the moment considering maybe illustrating of um, uh, uh, my first book it, it would be as illustrated as though by one of the characters who's not brilliant at drawing. So that's a nice get-out clause. That is
0: good. That's a good way of doing it.
1: Clever, so, isn't it? Uh-huh. It
0: is not it So you're involved in lots of festivals as well, which must be super-duper exciting.
1: Yeah. Um, I think one of my greatest achievements is uh, my regular attendance at the Edinburgh Festival. I absolutely love the Edinburgh Festival. All festivals have different flavours. I mean, Cheltenham is the oldest... Ongoing literature festival in the world, and that's very special. Uh, then there are festivals just for, just for children and things. So they all have that something that makes them unique or makes me enjoy going there. But Edinburgh's always been um, sort of in the top ten for me. And it's partly because, of course, the Edinburgh Festival itself is going on and the Fringe Festival. So there's so much happening in the city. The whole city is living festival and the the book festival has such amazing people there. And I think I've gone for 21, 22, 23 years in a row, which is quite unusual because you normally only get asked if you've written a book and they like you. So um, (laughs) the advantages of writing lots of books and looking like Father Christmas is, is that you get invited back. But yeah, all over the world. I mean, Hong Kong, Australia, wow. um, America. Uh, yeah, I, the United Arab Emirates. So I'm very lucky in that having no talent except writing. I I, um, I can't drive a car. I can't do DIY. Um, I you ever tried driving a car? No. <laughs> no, no, no. I, um, well, once when I was a kid, I was on. I tried a motorbike once. I was on. Um, Paul Getty's estate uh, the the chap who had one of his grandchildren had his ears cut off he was at the time one of the richest men in the world Mm -hmm. and I was on his estate and uh, having a go on this motorbike and I didn't realize that someone had unwound a kite and spent hours untangling it so they had had the line all laid out neatly on the lawn and I drove over to the motorbike and became entangled. In the film version, I'd look like a a giant ball of wool at the end of it. Um, (laughs) But, uh, so that was my only motorbike experience. I obviously ran away leaving the bike wrapped up and entangled. Um, And cars, I think when I was a child, once I assassinated. But the good thing is I don't fit in most cars. I'm two meters tall. I'm six foot seven. And I can't get my legs under the wheels, uh, the steering wheel of most cars. So that's my excuse. Mm. but I couldn't really hum and drive and think of stories at the same time so it's best to stick
0: best to leave it alone.
1: yes yeah. I think so
0: I can imagine you're on a motorbike with your beard flowing in the wind
1: Yes, yes. just I mentioned um Alyssa El- Elwick earlier and uh, in some stories although what people don't realize is that illustrators and um authors don't necessarily ever meet each other it sounds extraordinary but there are some picture books you'll read good picture books where the author and illustrator have never met or you know just communicated from long distances and things and often the author will have very little say about what goes in the pictures which again surprises people but um, with uh, uh, Alyssa Elwick we on a number of books actually work together so although I'm credited as the writer and she's credited as the illustrator Mm -hmm. Um, the whole idea and things will be discussed be the process we'll go through. What if this happened? What happened? Why do we change his character and do all that? So that really is collaborative. Yeah. And although ultimately she draws the pictures because I can't draw, I might go. But if you put him in the foreground and his big nose creates that shadow that looks like this. And, and she'll say, well, wouldn't it be better if you say that first? And that that's, that's a, a, a really nice question. Um, collaborative process I can't remember what the question was but I found myself so interesting there uh, I just was listening to myself to, nodding yeah,
0: going back to baby going Phil on. I've just got a picture of you they, on a motorbike with your beard
1: you No, know, that was it sorry yes what I was going to say was she has and uh, we have a series called Stick and Fetch which is a, um, a, a, a a detective series where Sally Stick is a girl and fetches her dog and uh, only she can understand what Fett says to everyone else, just sounds like it's woofing. And they solve loads of cases that don't even exist, which is quite difficult to write. So they might, they might think they're solving a, um, a theft from an art gallery, but there hasn't actually been one. But they still manage to solve it with the clues that are there. And the way they get around is on a bicycle. And oh. Sally's got big hair, so when she's cycling along, her hair is blowing back, and sitting in the basket is fetched the dog with his ears blowing oh, back. Ears so as blowing. soon as you said that about the beard, I instantly thought of that.
0: It paints the image in one's mind, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so the first book you ever got published, how excited were you? What happened? Do you remember Right.
1: Right, yes, that was an unusual one, because I'd always been writing... Mm. as I say, since I was very little, and then I started sending things off to publishers long before they <laughs> were a standard to do that. Um, but of course, nowadays we we live in a world where you can communicate immediately with anybody and everybody, you, yeah. you have an audience, you can get out there, when I was doing it, you are on your own. I hadn't read the Writers and Artists here book, or maybe I'd got one from the library, and you're doing everything you're not going around saying i'm an author i'm an author you're sitting at home writing alone in a room and then one yeah. day you pluck up the courage uh but i actually went for um a a job at a publishing company nice and i didn't get it but someone who was at the interview <laughs> someone at the interview who was on the interview panel said that you didn't get the job you're obviously unemployable. but uh, you know managed writers are um uh and uh, she steered me in the direction of, of assisting someone with a book or whatever anyway basically the, the 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 long and the short of it is all the first children's book i had published which would be the first book i had published in 1991 or something like that was about atoms and molecules Mm-hmm. And I use that as an example now because I know nothing about or knew nothing about atoms and molecules. I mean, I know they're tiny particles and they build up things. Um, so that was an example of a subject I knew nothing about. And I would speak to to people who did know about it. And again, the Internet was rather in its infancy then. Uh, Wikipedia was big, but incredibly unreliable. Anybody could put anything on it. <laughs> um, and I go to libraries and things like that, but I speak to experts now when people say, why get someone who knows nothing about acids and molecules to write the book? And the answer is, if from knowing nothing, I could get to understand it, with the skills of what I learned, then put that across. um, It's probably more accessible than it would be if an expert wrote it and wrote shortcuts, assuming you knew things you didn't necessarily. So I now write non-fiction books of two varieties, one on subjects I know very little about, but less and less less so, but also subjects I know a lot about and want to share. So one is a very interesting journey for me, researching and discovering things from from scratch. I wrote a book called The Hieroglyphs Handbook, Teach Yourself Ancient Egyptian, I think around about 1999 or something like that. And it was the first children's book in English that actually took, uh, reading and writing ancient hieroglyphs seriously, because what they did before was they said, here are 26 squiggles that, that represent the 26 letters, and now go away and write, forgetting the fact that even if that were true, and there is a certain element of truth to it, um, there are about 6,000 glyphs altogether. They have three different purposes one will represent a sound. Uh, One will represent, determine what the subject is, and the other will be like, uh, to give you an English analogy, if you wanted to write the word belief, you would draw a B and a leaf. So you've got to know when you look at the symbols what they're doing and all this. And um, I actually launched launched into this, and, and obviously, as I say, they're writing in ancient Egyptian as well. And it was fantastic fun because I just really, really didn't know much about it. And I've always loved ancient Egyptian because it's like archaeology with with a treasure hunt because there's all the gold and the amazing tombs and things like that. But I learned and learned and learned and learned about it and I brought out this book and it did brilliantly because there was nothing else like it and uh, Faber offices were very near. They're even nearer now, but they were very near um, the British Museum. And I used to go in, and this book was selling and selling and selling and selling. But unfortunately, as often happens, the British Museum thought, oh, this book's doing well. We have our own publishing division. Why don't we do one like this? And then we won't have to stock Philips. <laughs> <Aww. laughs> but... Um, but no, that was that was fantastic fun. So it's great. You do get like going like going on tour or going to festivals around the world. You find yourself in these extraordinary places, mm. and writing books such as that. You find yourself in really interesting worlds, talking to interesting people.
0: So you never know what's going to happen
1: next either <laughs> that is so true that is so true of so many things there's not being an author isn't a clear path you no. know and just because you're having a really successful year one year or a successful series doesn't mean the next one will be um the trick is of course when I started out I was writing for set fees uh, so it didn't matter if the book sold a gazillion or sold three oh. and uh, it was a set price and so I'd be having to work seven days a week etc but the great thing is uh, once you start uh, getting getting royalties, so you get paid, you get paid a small fee up front, your advance, and then uh, say so you get ten p for every book you sell, and then when those ten p's add up to the advance, you you then start earning after that. So if you if your book sells well, you can then start earning good money, and then the publishers think yippee, and it gets sold to other countries. So I wrote a book which is in about. 35, 36, 37 languages. So that means of course every time it's published somewhere else, I'm not having to rewrite it. It's already exists, but it's earning me money. So that's a nice situation to be in.
0: That's really cool. So do you write every day then? Do you have like a routine?
1: Yeah, I used to. I'm slightly unusual as well. <laughs> it's very good looking. Um, no, I um a lot of writers firstly a lot of writers have other jobs you have to yeah. people think that they'll write a book and they'll earn loads of money so a lot of people have other jobs mm. I a very early on became a full-time writer and I used to live in a one-bedroom basement flat then I lived in a, in a, in a small house and as success uh, would have it I moved on so I ended up living in Royal Tunbridge Wells and I'm, I am repeating myself here but I do explain when I'm there it was Royal Tunbridge Wells when I'm not obviously the flag was lowered and it was just Cambridge Wells and I was in a position where I had both an office and a study in my house which was fantastic and my office had all my tax files my VAT files my mainframe computer and and my study had brown furniture ticking clocks Edwardian decanters and was all very very nice but unusually now where most people have, through coronavirus, have been working from home. Those lucky enough to to have jobs where they can do that. And they thought, we like it here. We don't want to go back (laughs) to the office. But we have downsized. I now no longer live in Royal Tunbridge Wells, so it's just Tunbridge Wells. And I live in Battle, uh, which is where the Battle of Hastings took place. A lot of people would assume the Battle of Hastings took place in Hastings, the clue being the word of Hastings. Well, that's two words, but it actually took place in a place now called Battle. Uh, in the in, at the time it was probably called that old field near Hastings. <laughs> yeah. um, but so I uh, I live in um, Battle, but we we don't have a big house anymore. I live in a hovel, a hovel oh, because nice. I don't want to pay a well, nice hovel, nice hovel, oh. don't want to pay mortgages anymore and things like that. So I live in a house and it's too small to accommodate <laughs> to accommodate all my books and stuff so i now while everyone else is leaving the office to work from home i now have an office and it's three rooms i'm talking to you from the sort of office end of it with the more modern furniture and files and stuff then there's a middle section with a sofa my in corner and chairs and then down the other end there are lots of uh, old furniture and um bookshelves etc so my routine is now Um, i'll get to the office nine sometimes half eight sometimes ten and i will be here till six and sometimes i'll take my laptop home with me and i will do more work but actually this way is a way of ensuring i do less work because if you work from home you think oh, i'll just spend a bit longer or i'll just finish that or i'll just do that and you end up working much harder but i now only work five days a week so i like to have the weekends and um, but I am, yeah, I do. Um, it is, I have lazy, 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 lazy family. I'm the breadwinner. Um, so it is a job for me, it's yeah. a job I love, and I'm rubbish at everything else except running over kite strings on motorbikes. Um, so it's lucky that I love it, and it's lucky I get paid for it. But yes, but I do take it seriously. I don't dabble, no. I'm not a dabble.
0: No. So, is anyone allowed in your office, or is it strictly for you?
1: No, excellent question. No, I'm much more open to letting people in my office. In the old days, when um, uh, I have a series called "The Nine Lives of Furry Perry Dean Cat," which is. Um, illustrated by Rob Bidov, who has been huge during lockdown because he started doing how to draw videos every day and then he had to ease off a bit but he's had books come out he has a huge following they had a world record uh, confirmed by the Guinness Book of Records for the biggest drawathon etc wow. so he has been amazing but obviously one of his greatest honors is to do black and white illustrations for my furry perry bean cat books and uh they are, it's called the nine lives of of fairy-pary cat because we all know that cats have nine lives. But I thought one day, when stroking my beard, what about if the nine lives didn't mean that cats are curious and get in precarious situations where others would have died, but they survived? What if the nine lives were different lives? And she has no recollection of them. So in each life, she lives it all, but she goes from one life to the other, and she has no memory. So, for example, she might... Find that she's a pirate captain's cat and wake up on the hat on top of the head of a pirate captain. And she doesn't know whether the ship's rats are her friends or what's going on. Or another time she opens her eyes and she's on a, an Edwardian railway station and she doesn't know when the jackdaw shouting at her from one of the swinging um, flower baskets is friend or foe. And again, of course, she's a library cat and they're going to close the library down and she wants to campaign to help save it. But uh that she's not anthropomorphic apart from the fact that she can talk to other animals and she she wants to help she you know she can only do cat like things okay. so and this cat and i did one called the witch's cat they said would you do one called the witch's cat and i said yes as long as there's no magic in it because of course witches were generally um women who were herbalists and help people in the days as soon as being a doctor was a profession. Men took it away, but up until Victorian times, when suddenly it was, you know, taken seriously, Georgian times, things uh, most most uh, herbalists and things would be your local local wise woman in the village. So I, I set my witch's cat story in the time of. Um, the sort of witch finders and witch hunters and things like that so there's no magic but furry perry bean cat has to help out i remember your question you said do you let anyone into your study we're coming to that to your yeah. office um furry perry bean cat is based on the very first um, pet i owned because as a child the longest i had a pet was one weekend when i was allowed to look after the class tadpole <laughs> it, hadn't even, it hadn't even grown legs at that stage it would look just look like a wiggly thing yeah. and I think I had that for a weekend no pets I'm sure no hamsters okay. guinea pigs goldfish anything so when I became an alleged adult um I got a furry furry bean cat I got bean cat who was purry and furry I didn't know she was a long-haired cat I had no idea I just thought she was a fluffy fluffy kitten tabby and white gorgeous and she grew up and we were together for 18 years and she was the only living creature I would allow in any of my studies when I when I work from home and uh, when she died it was a very hot summer and I was finishing off um, a series of books called Unlikely Exploits and the final book is called The Rise of the House of McNally and I sat by her grave in the garden. She was buried oh. in the garden and I wrote. So she was very, very special to me as the old bean cat. So I was very, very pleased to be able to use her in the nine lives of fairy Perry bean Cat. So she was the only living thing. Um, but I used to only be able to write sort of in my office with a certain pen or a certain typewriter or with a certain amstrad or with a certain computer yeah. or laptop or whatever um, but then one day i realized the more successful you are the more um publishers attempt to stop you having time to write in the books mm. so you know when you're unsuccessful and you can sit and write and write but when you're successful they go oh, we want you to go there or will you come to this or come to the can you do this oh we need you to say so you I realised that if I wanted to carry on writing, go to all these places and do all these things, I would have to get better at writing. And now I can write on aeroplanes, not on aeroplanes, I'd probably get arrested. They'd say, stop writing on our aeroplane. Once aboard an aeroplane, I could write there and I write in railway stations. And now I can write anywhere. Now I have my office. I want to welcome people here because it's not such a personal space it's a big space and i've got different sections and i'd love to have other writers and and people come and see me here so (gasps) that's a change of gear a change of gear
0: that's really cool so you mentioned cats and your love of your little cat your son has a cat
1: he does he's very popular my son has a cat called ginger biscuit and um interestingly in the grunts which i mentioned the series earlier that Axel Scheffler sheffler um, illustrated uh mrs grunt has a cat shaped uh doorstop well it's a stuffed cat but not as in a cat that was real and has died and been yeah. stuffed it's like a cuddly cat uh and i wanted to use my son's cat's name. i thought ginger biscuit was such a great name i said yes. to him can i use um can I use the name Ginger Biscuit for, uh, for the doorstop? And he was quite young and he went, yep, okay. And that was great. And then I, two books later, he came to me one day and he said, um, you know, you, you asked if uh, you could call the cat doorstop Ginger Biscuit. And I went, yes. And uh, he said, I'm withdrawing permission. Yeah. And I thought, ooh, this is an interesting one, uh, because obviously... Uh, <laughs> I could just get say, that well, it's too late. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah. But as I say when this as I say when I discuss this story, one day I will be old and shriveled like a prune and rocking back and forth and living in the past. And he will probably have the decision whether to put me in an old people's home or not, or whether to put me in the shed at the bottom of the garden. <laughs> yeah. So it's quite important to stay on the side. So in the book, something happens to the catch at Goldstock called Ginger Biscuit that he gets very grubby. So he's renamed Chocolate Biscuit. but the real reason is to appease my son and he also wouldn't let me put photographs i used to say oh he's such a beautiful boy can i put pictures of him on twitter and things and he went there and then one day he let me and ginger biscuit became a bit of a star because there's cat a day which is every saturday lots of people post and and he's he's adorable so lots of people are big fans of his now um He's not the friendliest of cats. He, he only really likes uh, my my wife. He ignores my son, although he's my son's cat. He turns his nose up at me. Oh. And he just loves it because he knows it upsets us. Because he does <laughs> it to annoy us. And we love him like crazy for yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, funny. Cats are amazing.
0: I have two.
1: <laughs> what, are, what are they called?
0: Jasper and Milo. I was going to ask, right. every time I go to write, they will come and sit on my pad. If I'm on the computer, they will walk across my keyboard. They seem to I
1: know. To, <laughs> they do. They do. I used to have that as well. Um, when, uh, beanie, when Furry Perry Bean Cat uh, got a bit older, got a bit grumpy, and, and she got a bit introverted, sort of stiff legged and things. Absolutely adorable. I have to say, um, a sun warmed Furry Perry Bean Cat smelt fantastic. You've her fur. Anyway, she, we she uh, got a lodger. Uh, Called uh, Snorkel. There no, we got a, a rescue cat, black cat called Snorkel, who came along, and uh, uh, she was lovely. Because Beanie had a little pink nose, so it didn't match her fur. Whereas Snorkel has one of the black noses, so it matched. So she looked like a panther, uh, and she would do a bit of that. Mm. But. Um, neither because ginger biscuit isn't the slightest bit interested in me when i was working from home he didn't do the good old walk across the keyboard which i think is wonderful i think it's them saying all right let me make it clear you know you have the privilege of living with me but this is my house and i do what i like
0: even when i do homework with my son he'll come and sit on the homework book
1: (laughs) he, oh, I he
0: just wants attention it's really funny
1: <laughs> how, how how old are they the cats not your, your children
0: yeah jasper is seven and milo is seven months old
1: oh right because i wonder whether milo was named after one of the tweenies but obviously because oh. he's so young and the tweenies are so long ago i now. the
0: tweenies
1: <laughs> you like milo who's the purple one the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah i used to watch uh. it with my daughter <laughs>
0: I was going to ask about the illustrators. So when you write a story, do you have like an illustrator in mind? How do you approach them and when?
1: Right. I'm very fortunate in that from very early on, I was given um, a lot of say with with who I got to illustrate my books. I started out primarily writing nonfiction. And then by a strange quirk of fate, uh, Faber and Faber published a book of mine called Awful End. And this is something I've talked about a gazillion times, so to give a very, very short background, I had a nephew whose parents were living abroad. He was in a boarding school in England, having had no experience of that, suddenly away from his parents and living at school. And I wrote him a series of letters every couple of weeks, and I wrote uh, an adventure story in a a set in a sort of fictitious Victorian England, what we think Victorian England would be like if we didn't bother to research it. And I called the hero, Eddie Dickens, so it would have a Charles Dickens vibe to it. Anyway, Faber one day said to me, do you have any fiction? And I'd had copies of his letters. And they said, all right, we'll turn it into a book. Uh, And they said, who would you like to illustrate it? Oh. And I said there's a chap called David Roberts. David Roberts had illustrated a book for Tom Baker, Doctor Who. I love Tom Baker. Um, uh, and it was a very, very odd book, but I'd seen David's pictures and I um I, I asked if we could use David and we did, and that was fantastic. And that's the book that ended up, it's now sold all over the world. It became it became the first of a trilogy, and then it became the first of six books. Hmm and it it sold all over the world and the deal I said was that um David's pictures were used every time and that was agreed so because often you see they get you know other countries have illustrators they love and they use them they just change the whole thing and what I loved about David I had this uh, pretend Victorian vibe going on and he had a very scratchy quill-like um drawing style at the time that was well, that, that just married with it perfectly so that i had um a, a say in um other books i've um had say and i only recently in the last few years have started doing uh picture books uh rowick and i i mentioned her earlier in the context mm. of um doing a stick and fetch the books about the detectives who aren't really, but think they are.
0: Yeah. Uh, but
1: we did a uh, we did a picture book uh, together called You Can't Count on Dinosaurs. And the reason why you can't count on dinosaurs is the Tyrannosaurus Rex eats them. So you'll be going one dinosaur, yes, it's true. Along comes another one, that makes two. Two dinosaurs running around a tree. Along comes a third one, that makes three. Oh, hang on. <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, and uh so obviously i got her but then i had a, a new series uh, it started off as a single book called bunnies on the bus and the illustrator we ended up with was recommended to me by walker books uh, picture books they said look we think this guy would be great what do you think send me some samples of his work i said great he did a test Mm. Uh, spread if you like and I thought yeah absolutely bang on and and that was Ben Mantle and what Ben Ben Mantle did with bunnies on the bus bunnies on the bus no wonder there's a fuss about bunnies on the bus "Mm, bunny at the wheel bunny at the wheel um it's about a bunch of bunnies who hijack a bus and don't (laughs) stop at the stops and uh, zoom all over the place so there's the main story and obviously there are certain things you're going to have to have in the pictures for the story to make sense but what ben did was he created these whole little subplots going on like as the pages go on you realize that there's a bear buying chops and flowers hoping to meet his lady bear um there's a diamond robbery going on he has all these little things going on uh details he's added and then such was the success of bunnies on the bus Mm. it ends with them at the railway station Jumping on a train. Here we go again. So everyone thought the next book will be Bunnies on, on the train. train. So, but it wasn't. I'd made it Bunnies in a Boat just to confuse them. Um, <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and uh, uh, so that's coming out this year. That's all done and ready. Ooh. And then there's a there's a it's probably a secret, but I do believe there might possibly, possibly be a Christmas one being done. And I've just come up with another one. And with that, I didn't choose Ben but he was so perfect i was so delighted uh, so it really is but what i've always had with fiction very fortunate is i've always had to say sometimes excuse me <coughs> sometimes uh, people will be told uh because when people are starting out and they want to do a picture book. they say right i've written a script do i need to find someone to do some illustrations and send them to the publisher don't do that because they might have this fantastic illustrator Mm -hmm. who they they will really want to use in a book your script comes in and they think it would be fantastic if this script was illustrated by this person we want yeah um and also uh some publishers well if you write details underneath like jeremy is bouncing an orange ball down the road and there's a pig in a tree and there's a an aardvark's nose stuck in a post box and then, um they will strip all that out and they will just give the text to the illustrator to see what that illustrator comes up with which is terrifying when you're an author especially if you're starting out you're thinking no, but, but, but. now obviously yeah. you put in the vital bits if for example you're writing a story about uh sorry i was about to move my glasses and i i'm not wearing <laughs> any really so unfortunately Fortunately, no one will see that. I shouldn't have said anything. Um, (laughs) But let's say we have a whole story about an invisible friend. So there's Jenny and her invisible friend. Mm -hmm. Um, You would have to mention somewhere uh, in brackets that although she's talking to her friend, Tony, Tony doesn't exist because Mm -hmm. the illustrator may then go and draw him and uh, that would ruin it. So you put in important details, but often the illustrator will, will add. A great deal, and that sort of partnership is fantastic because when you're just writing a book, even if it's like a, a big fat book, even if it's ultimately going to have some black and white illustrations in it or whatever, that's a very uh, lonely, not lonely, much as I said, but that's something you do on your own, that's a solo task, and that's very rewarding in many ways. The positive thing is there's no one to tell you what to do, you're writing it, the negative thing is there's no one to tell you what to do. So you can distract yourself and, and watch videos or whatever when you should be working. Yeah. Um, but that's a very solo activity. The great thing is as soon as you get pictures and things in world, it, it opens out into something else. Yeah. Um, and and you can have that that teamwork. Working with Alyssa is brilliant in that, as I say, it's from the word go. So what are we going to write about? Um but once, even if you're writing in the traditional way with the illustrator coming on board later, it just turns it into something new. And if you can, you know, you can fight if you really, really think uh when the illustrator does uh, pencil rough, rough sketch, things you can go, no, this, this this spread really needs to have this in it. And you'll discuss it and it's to and fro. And sometimes they're right, and sometimes you're right. But with with um, height comes responsibility and authority and obviously being two meters tall, I'm always right.
0: Well, of course. Thank you. And you look like Santa, so everyone um, like always, like
1: yes, absolutely.
0: So have you had anyone that's done an illustration, you've you've refused them and said, Well, actually I'm gonna go with someone else. Has that ever happened, or have you just been lucky? No,
1: then? because I think I think I think you, you wouldn't get to that stage I think the thing about illustrators is you can tell that they're good illustrators even if you don't like their style it's much harder with the writers you can go oh god I don't think they can write I mean if it's public it used to be that if it was published you think well they must have some merit so even yeah. though I don't like it it's it's not my style nowadays because anyone can publish anything anytime Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily have that filter you don't say those editors with that you know um but having said that people who self-publish or whatever some of them have amazing books that are wildly successful so I'm not dissing self-publishing at all um but what I am saying is you know you don't it hasn't necessarily gone through that process but with illustrators you can say oh it's very fiddly or oh, it looks a bit 60s or something, but even if you don't like it, you can see their skill. So um, very early on, um, uh, someone might say to me, oh, uh, an example, I'm doing, doing a the moment, I, I, I won't I name them it is because it hasn't been announced, nor so it wouldn't be fair on a person. Their style of illustration wouldn't be, when I wrote the story, in my mind, I saw a much looser style for it. Okay. This person has, uh, she's American, she has a much... Uh, more styly style. It's it's got a real style to it. It's not sort of loose. It's a lot of arm waving going on here. Anyone who can't <laughs> see this, imagine, imagine. I, a, I don't me. know. An aspidistra. Yeah, that's right. And now, Laura <laughs> was doing a sort of octopus stunt, so a lot of tentacle action. Um, but she's got a very different style. And uh, uh, so my immediate gut reaction might be, mm, mm. but actually now she's developing it. And now I'm seeing it in the context of the world. I think this is exciting because mm. it has become something that I wouldn't necessarily have chosen, but its I was prepared to take that risk. I discussed it. I believed the, the, what the editor was saying and actually having seen it develop, I think it's gonna be great. And it's not something I could have produced on my own or something mm. she could have done, but together it's gonna to be going to be fun. Yeah, it's fun,
0: very exciting fun, fun. when an illustrator brings your characters to life.
1: To yeah, well, isn't it? yeah, yeah, that's true.
0: Yeah. So we were chatting the other day on the phone, very briefly, and you dropped a huge name bomb on me. Boo! So Paul McCartney.
1: Oh, my mate. Yes. No, you were talking. I was asking. Uh, I was asking you who else you've got uh, coming up on the podcast. You're telling me some exciting names, and that include bands, not rubber bands, not elastic bands, <laughs> um, but bands, as in popular Musicians. beat combos and one of the most popular beat combos obviously in the world in the history of the <laughs> world is the Beatles yeah. and there's a real renewed interest in the Beatles at the moment because of the fantastic uh, Get Back documentary I don't know if you've watched any of it but oh. you really feel like you're about the one person in Britain who has <laughs> but you really <laughs> feel like, I like you're there special. and what's great some people have said oh I'm not a great Beatles fan but I watched it it's amazing I, I'm not only was I a Beatles fan, because I'm very ancient, um, when they were still around? But um, yeah, my mate Puh and I wrote a book together. Um, Puh, or Sir Paul McCartney to you. Yes. Um, and, uh, don't, do you remember the frog chorus? Oh, oh bottom, my God, bottom.
0: that always made yep. me cry. I loved it so much. It's just very emotional yes. and beautiful. Oh, oh, it
1: is beautiful oh, and it oh, had the at oh, yeah. the Bear oh yes remember? yeah right well okay so um, Paul wrote a song called Tropic Island Hum which was a sort of fun sort of song, sort of song that you'd have as a B-side you know boppy and fun but for those of you who don't remember there used to be things called records which were made of vinyl and you would you would bring out a single which would mean a single track and this might become popular and become in the top 10 charts or whatever anyway so on A B-side would be, it would be a good song, but you didn't think it would go on the A-side, go on the Mm -hmm. front And Tropic Island Hum was sort of about that. And Paul thought it would be quite fun to do a short little video. And he got the guy who did uh, did the Rupert the Bear, a guy called Jeff Dunbar. And he and Paul worked together and they made this video. And it was about... An island where animals seek sanctuary, so that they're not hunted and things like that. So that was done and dusted, and then Linda died. And Paul probably, in the time he and Linda were married, only spent one or two nights away from her in his their entire marriage. And obviously, he was devastated by the death of uh, Linda, and he wanted to, as a tribute to her, because there were. Do you remember there were Linda McCartney? vegetarian sausages and things she's she's a vegetarian and a a real sort of animal rights activist Mm. so as a tribute he wanted to turn that um 15 minute film into a full-length feature film and he went to Faber and Faber who at the time had just published his uh book of lyrics called blackbird singing and he said who do you think because he speaks like that (laughs) (laughs) do you think? They, who do you think um, might be able to help me turn this into a feature film? And the children's publisher said, uh, well, there's Phil. You could have a look at Phil. Phil. Right. Susie Jenby. Susie Jenby, Jenby. She'll thank me. Oh, yeah, she's pretty no, Susie Definitely. Jenby was at the time children's publisher. And she said, what well, you should do, Paul. Here are Phil's. Have a look at this. So, Paul, have a look at my stuff. And he said, yeah. Um, So, Faber got in touch with me and I said, will you ask Paul to send me absolutely everything he and Jeff have done? Because they were trying to turn it into film themselves and they created characters and done sketches. So, they sent me all the stuff and I sat down and tried to write a treatment saying, oh, we can't use Funky Monkey and this one can do more. And I just wrote a treatment of it. And and said, Paul would like to see you at Abbey Road. And I thought, oh, okay, okay. So I, I went down to Abbey Road and Jeff Dunbar was there, the illustrator, director, animator was there, but Paul was busy recording something. And Jeff said to me, Look, Paul is a lovely guy, but what he'll probably do is he'll talk at you. And if you've got something you want to say, don't interrupt him, let him talk at you, and then say your bit. And then Paul appeared and he just asked me a question straight away. And he asked me mm-hmm. other questions and he, and it was great. And I went up and I met the band he was working with in those familiar bits of Abbey Road. You always see it being filmed. And he talked to me about lots of things. And by the end of that first meeting, mm. he said, well, why don't we do a book? You know, the film could come later. Why don't you do a book together? I'll split the royalties with you and your name could be the same size as mine on the cover. So I thought about it for an hour, and no, I went, "Yes." Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, we did that, and then after that, we met. He has um, offices up in London. We met sort of once a week per year. I'd go around Paul's gaff with his. Um, as you do. <laughs> as you do, with his um, who did the Campbell's suit paintings? My, my Andy Warhol, you know, sort of Andy <laughs> Warhol picture of the Beatles on the wall and all that. And it's great. We worked together, and we wrote a book called High in the Clouds. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And that came out. Mm-hmm. And now um, Netflix and Gaumont are making a film version of it. That's so that's rather exciting. So that will be coming out maybe this year, maybe next year. Wow. So, so it all happened, it's all happening. So yeah, my mate, uh, quick quick quiz question. What is Paul McCartney's first name? Paul. Cool. <laughs> i like it i like it his name is james it's really james paul mccartney there wow, she's an me, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah well what as a, a writer just talking bring it back to a writing thing um, because i thought this was really interesting what really comes out of listening to uh the watching the documentary of get it be which is over six hours long um is Really real, realizing that he is a great writer and how he uses lyrics and, and what he does and how he discusses writing, you realize that this is a guy who, who really can write. And one of his concerns was in the story, there is um, an albino squirrel who often tells stories about animalia, this far off island that people think is a myth. And the other animals in the forest, the other squirrels and things will be listening. And there's this one-legged frog in a hot air balloon tied to the tree listening. And it bothered him how, how we could explain how, what that frog is doing there and why, because he's an integral part of the story. But when I wrote it, not being aware that Paul was worried about it, when I wrote the treatment, I said, and Frogo is tethered to his usual branch of the tree and paul picked up on that usual because what it did was it didn't say why he was there Mm. but it just said he was a regular and this was his spot so you accepted it and you move on it doesn't make anything of it yeah and he he honed in on that and said to me one of the things i really loved when you did the treatment was the use of that word usually and i thought yeah because that's my unconscious skill Mm. but he could see how a word like that was so useful in moving the story along and I, and I was impressed that actually he'd picked it, it happened to curse me but as soon as he said it I was impressed mm. that he understood the function of what that word did me, oh, that was a very serious authory bit there about me and my mate pa. and yes I've been to his parties, I, I wouldn't <gasps> call myself the fifth Beatle you know I can't call myself the fifth Beatle but um, Are you ever
0: tempted hard. to join the band?
1: Well I am the only man you will meet in your life who's never picked up a guitar and strummed a few chords. Oh, really? Yeah. Now, um, I don't know your personal circumstances, but I like to think you've had joyous relationships and you meet a guy and you like him and you think this is going really well. Till one day you're sitting on your sofa or settee and he leans behind him and he brings out a guitar and your heart sings and you think, oh no, him too. But you're <laughs> actually going to reveal you're a rocker chick and you normally wear leathers and you absolutely love bad boy guitar players.
0: No, that's not me she's at got all. Very
1: quiet. Viewers, she's got very quiet or well, listeners. No, I uh, yeah, so you'd be saved back with me. Uh, you don't have to go <laughs> to
0: No. I want to learn the guitar. It's on my to do list one day. Oh
1: that's nice, that's
0: nice. Yeah. yeah so my son.
1: Was, sorry. Go on. No, I was wait, just gonna say my son teases me. He he um he thinks I'm a little plump because I'm, as I said, six foot seven and quite wide. And he is six foot six and thin because he's young. And he says, Dad, if I ever make enough money, I'm going to have someone follow you around with a, with a tuber. So I go... so like, sort of have my own theme tune as a fat man. Anyway, so yes. that's Nice, nice kid, nice kid
0: a lovely image. Oh, quite nice having a musical band walk behind
1: you. <laughs> yeah, I think it would have its merits, wouldn't
0: it? <laughs> so do, are you still in contact with Paul McCartney then? What's
1: going on with the next thing? Um, are you part it's of that? Oh, no, I, 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 it's Christmas. I've just uh, wrote him a letter and been in touch, but he spends a lot more time in uh, in America now because um, his, his, um, his... It sounds terrible to say is married for a third time because he would obviously still be—I'm sure—be with Linda had she had she lived. But uh, no, I, and I think I think when when it comes nearer to the film coming out, I'll be well. I have absolutely nothing to do with the film, okay. um, which is great, which is great. Because I should say it's very interesting writing. People say to me, you know, oh, is that the book you're proud of, or whatever? And the answer is no. I, I love working with Paul. On some levels, it was very weird because I was working with a Beatle, but on another level, um, I, because Paul McCartney is such a, a figure you see everywhere in, yeah. in the media and things, I felt I know, knew him more than I knew my Uncle Willie, who used to come around for Christmases very, very occasionally. You sort of feel you know somebody. Yeah. And he's a very, he is a very natural, nice person to work with. And uh, we, we, we had a good time. But... Uh, we were both going on tour in america at the same time once i said i think our tour's a little different i started off in uh, new york and ended up going across right across up to washington Mm. uh state right the other side uh, you know visiting bookshops and things and i think he was probably doing uh, you know 40 city tours of of, (laughs) of, of booked out things um but i hope to be in touch i hope to actually see him again uh, physically, well, before the film comes out.
0: Yeah. Ah, oh, so during COVID, whenever everything went really quiet, you started your own YouTube channel as well.
1: Oh, I did sort of, didn't I? Um,
0: to uh, yes. just pass the time.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I think channel is rather a than it. I did put various things up, didn't I? A mixture of very silly and slightly more more serious. Um, yeah, it's an opportunity. I I I, I I'm not someone who puts up loads of tips and things like that i do like to have fun i think um writing courses more and more authors um uh uh, have video courses telling you how how to write how to write science fiction how to plot your novel how to do this and how to do that and i'm a great believer in the fact that you can't teach someone how to write Mm. what you can do is you can nurture someone who has that spark I, I don't know I'm not very really good at mixing metaphors you nurture a spark but if someone has that germ inside them not germ as in <gasps> like a germ of an idea or a germ of talent you can help nurture that and you can help bring it out but I also think uh, everybody writes in a different way so what an author can do is they can show you the way they do it mm. and you can take from it what they do and if you watch a couple of these videos you can go well actually I prefer her method because I'm more methodical and I like to have lots of post-it notes and index cards or whatever whereas his more see where it takes me or I like that bit of what he's saying and I'll marry it with what that other person's saying but I don't think I think to to find first go an author however um, wonderful they are how much you admire their work however brilliant they are to find that their method is your method mm. uh would be very very lucky because everybody does writing in a different way i think yeah um so yeah so i didn't want to do how to um I, I i like having fun i like being silly um but i do like i mean i love books this this year i've just started on instagram we're on the seventh day and each day i'm just um posting a book recommendation for adults or children I started off with some that just came out last year but I'm now referring back to books that may be years old and just explaining why I like them and that sort of thing but um you know I think but I think teaching people to write so uh, Stephen King the famous Stephen King basically said um teaching writing was something that was created because um authors need to make money and they don't make enough from writing books so if (laughs) if they can earn money teaching why not you know but um, they might just as well wash your car or something but i don't have a car so that would not not be very helpful do you think your
0: beard has brought you wisdom because people feel if you have a beard it makes more intelligent
1: extraordinary wisdom so not only the authority of height no no but look i mean look, look trust me exactly look at that again you can't see I'm leaning into the camera to Lorna she's just marvelling I mean I felt I could have taken a kidney out then couldn't I, I could have removed your kidney and you would have felt you were in safe hands
0: exactly um, because
1: of your beard. No, my beard I did I did um shocking when I say this because obviously my 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 voice sounds so very young but um when I was coming up 50 I um Thought I might shave my beard off, my family yeah. looked at me in horror, and my publishers were horrified because all my publicity says big and bearded for the harder. So um, okay. I think I'm stuck with the beard, uh, but mm. we get on very well. We get on well. I have um, I have a team. Sadly, one of them died, but uh, I have a team of nimble fingered spider monkeys who once a week come and swarm over me, and with their little fingers, they just tease out all the knots. Oh, then they go back. They go back to their mansion. And, do you have to condition uh, it? Um, uh, the team? The team of spider monkeys? <laughs> you you do? them. them? Um, I um, I don't wish to... Um, just Molten Brown, just in case you're watching, listening, Molten Brown, Molten Brown, Molten Brown. Um, I, I use Molten Brown products, so my beard is lovingly, lovingly nurtured and enriched daily. Um Yes, because we, we, we like a happy beard. A happy beard is a happy man, I think.
0: Well, beards are very fashionable. Women,
1: it is. I think too are few you women
0: are responsible for
1: that. What, well, the fashion? Yes. Uh, it is very interesting though, because for years people used to shout, um, Hello Jesus. This was before my beard went white. Now it's Hello Santa, yes. and people laugh, laugh, and throw rock cakes and things. But oh. of course, suddenly it became incredibly trendy. And all these baristas in in your favourite coffee shops had the things, and there was a new respect. I was treated like a like an elder, so a trailblazer, like you know, the first feminists. Trailing the way for, for, for later funds and I, 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 yeah, a new level of respect. Um, okay. a lot of bowing, secret handshakes, and things. Um, I like it though, I think some people really do suit beards. I mean, a few years ago, the only person with a beard on television, um, was that chap who you had to open the boxes, uh, to try and get the money. I can't Mel remember, his name. yeah, he used to be years ago. He was the only guy, and his beard is not, you know, it's not much more than five o'clock shadow and a bit yeah, so it's great yeah
0: yeah
1: so me and the beard my uncle's happy. got a
0: beard I think he's had it since birth and he's very clever so
1: well I thought, who am I to argue I love the idea of having it from birth it might have been quite a tickly experience for for his mother but we'll we'll leave that image there the power of words
0: that's yes. why like,
1: I used to be in advertising. I should explain. I retired from advertising in uh, 1984, I think. Ooh. I would have been incredibly young. I, I retired to become a hospital cleaner at Luzian Hospital. But I worked for McCann Ericsson, which was a big um, advertising agency, and I worked on accounts such as Levi's and Coca-Cola and things like that. Um, but the, the lure of the hospital cleaning called me. It was actually so that I could retire um, to write and again I'm so loving listening to what I'm saying I can't remember a what led me to telling you that and b what I was about to say but I imagine (laughs) it would have been fantastic but anyway you now know that I used to work in advertising and I was a hospital cleaner Ah, that was it that was it I know it's the power of words I loved radio ads firstly because in those days um, when you couldn't really do green screen trickery nowadays you know you go to a film and you see aliens blowing up box the size of lemons yeah. and things um, but in those days if an advertisement film uh, tv advert started open on a clear blue sky they had to fly you to the Bahamas to film it so even if you were setting it in uh, Surbiton every script would be open in a clear blue sky because all the writers and things wanted to go, go abroad. So they were all busy doing that. And I thought, well, radio, what I can do is I can get to meet my... I I can get to meet Eric Thompson, who wrote and narrated the English version of The Magic Roundabout. I can get to meet Cyril Fletcher, who used to write the the witty ditties on That's like John the Missouri from Dad's Army, Ed Straker from Shadow, Supreme Headquarters, and an organisation of a show called UFO. And I got to meet all of them except Eric Thompson, because every radio ad I wrote, it's a bit like writing open on Clear Blue Sky, I would write um, Eric Thompson voiceover, and they never agreed to it. And one day they said, okay. And they rang his agent, and I said, I'm very, very sorry, he's died. So oh. I couldn't use him. Oh, I used a guy who did the original Dalek Voices and Captain Pagwash. I had a fantastic time working oh. with all these people um, Tim Curry from the Rocky Horror Picture. Marvelous. So oh. I got to meet all these people, work with them. Um, but I discovered the power of radio, the power of creating images through words oh. is fantastic. And that has been, was, so I'm sort of drawing in midair. let me draw I could draw ambidextrously when I'm not really holding a pen or writing anything um it, it was a really good grounding for for writing in general writing sparsely because a 30 second radio ad had to be sort of I don't know 27 half seconds long or, mm. uh, and really distilling it um And and using tricks, not like, hey, you turned the light out, but hey, put that light back on, because that's how someone would really speak, and, and, you know, all those things. Right, so that was a wonderful aside, I think. You can always edit it out. Hello.
0: No, it's amazing. Everything you say has been amazing. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Carry on.
0: So I look forward to seeing your new books coming out this year, and your Christmas book.
1: (laughs) Yes, so, right, so I think we've got all four of the Furry, Perry, cat is out. I think Bunnies in a Boat will be coming out, um, and so I've got various exciting projects. I mean, you know, do you ever wonder when you uh, uh, read a nursery rhyme or you hear a furry, sto- furry story, so I always talk a of a <laughs> fairy story, a furry, fairy story, you know, what happened next? and they all all I think I said maybe maybe I've got some books coming out um pertaining to that I uh have so many books I haven't mentioned that I wish I'd spoken about I should very quickly if I may yes uh mention my series of books I did for the National Trust because that's (gasps) very good so I have a special National Trust budge a budge is like a badge but spelled wrong uh, national trust budge um <laughs> and it's a mixture of fact and fiction so there might be the secret diary of john drawbridge who's mm. a knight in training or the secret uh, diary of jane pinney uh, who's a, a maid an accidental detective and, and all these different characters tudor boy spy and smuggler's daughter and things because although the character's made up and although they're cleverly chosen for different aspects of the National Trust, so the castles one would be John Drawbridge, so the Tudor houses would be the Tudor Boys guy, yeah. so all the countryside. You get it, you get it. Um, but although the characters don't exist and the stories are funny and exciting, all the period detail has to be right, otherwise someone writes to the National Trust and says, no, that wouldn't have happened. So I had great fun with that. And Jamie Littler, who has now gone on to become a wildly successful author in his own right, The Swine, I can do without the competition, I wish he'd stuck to illustrating, um, did these fantastic black and white illustrations, very highly illustrated series with Nosy Crow, um, but he would do cinematic angles, so if something dramatic is happening, he'd draw it from the floor looking up, wow, so he sort of yeah. get a pyramid effect, and he really did wonderful, wonderful uh, things with it. His name is, is little on the title because it's called Jamie Little but also it's smaller because I'm bigger than him and I'm the author but that is a really nice example Mm. of something just coming together and and working brilliantly so hopefully if people go to any National Trust properties when they finally reopen they'll find some of those there I did a special National Trust trail um, but you're going to ask me where it is and I won't remember the name of the property but it's jolly good Uh, Yes, I've got lots of things in the pipeline at the moment, hopefully we will um, unblock them and they will be coming out soon and I've got some new things that I haven't had commissioned yet that I want to present to people. So it's a busy time and it's an exciting time.
0: We're obviously doing exceptionally well.
1: Well, you know, we have to say, well, we just, you just have to keep going, don't you? you have to keep going and, and doing, I know you do a million and one different things yourself, don't you? Yeah. So you want to be busy, you want to be out there, and it is—it is a complicated thing. It's a shame. I mean, I want to speak to my publishers, but they're not all. I'd love going into the offices, and you'd go to see one person, you'd walk past the desk, and you'd say, "Oh, what's that?" And they tell you, and that give you an idea. And he said, exactly. well, "What we're missing at the moment is that serendipity, those mm. those uh, fortunate accidents that happen, uh, yeah. and because we're all still in our pods, people are beginning to get down a bit more, but it isn't that." thing where you can just bounce off and, and and do things like that and I do miss that to be honest I think that's a shame mm. but shall we end on a hi hi yay
0: Ta-da! it's been balls talking to you thank you so much Philip
1: well thank you Lorna I've really enjoyed it hopefully I've answered a few bits creeping where they have to be the same because you have to be honest um, I haven't had a chance to talk about the Moomin's, of course. I wrote the definitive guide to the Moomin's, uh, about 340 pages or something. So, if you're a Moomin fan, it's yes. called The World of Moomin Valley. It's okay. all about them. It's uh, fantastic. But the reason why it's fantastic is that it is full of pictures by Tori Janssen, who, of course, created the Moomin's, but was also an artist in her own right. So, there's that to find. I don't know. There are lots of things. Google me. I don't have a website. I'm too mean. Um, but I have Googled fine, you. People. I Googled you. You Googled me. Um, I used to have a really good Wikipedia entry that was full of useful information, but someone's come along and, um, I don't know, pruned it to almost nothing. So oh, I did you
0: Wikipedia, yes. Obviously,
1: I've got you on the old Insta. Good. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm oh, on the old Insta. Oh, look, who's that? Oh, yeah. You see, the, the shame that that's Mr. <laughs> hamburger Man that you could oh, put on your days lovely goodies. Uh, but people are missing out on this um it's been a joy laura thank you very much indeed i've really enjoyed talking to you and i enjoy listening i will enjoy listening i have to um some of the later podcasts with bands so i can tell my very good friend Puh all about
0: them. oh well tell him if he wants to talk to me and if you ever want to collab with i don't know me <laughs> you know where to <laughs> <follow> me. <laughs> Okay, okay thank you very much. Indeed. Cheers. Bye. That was the amazing Philip Ardar speaking to me on Stories to Screen. And of course, if you've been involved in any projects yourself that you want to chat about on my podcast, then please do get in contact at launachild at iCloud.com. That's launachild at iCloud.com.